Hi, everybody. This is Moshe Fried, and welcome to the very 69th episode of the Class Stars podcast. Uh, today's episode is actually going to be a very interesting one for a couple of reasons. First of all, as we're getting ready to start another school year, there's a lot going on, especially under the COVID situation that we've been dealing with for the last several months. Coming back to school, a new school year with all of the precautions being put into place and hoping that in-school learning can continue or some version of it, some kind of semblance of normalcy. We're trying to get back to that. So there is a lot going on, but I also want to highlight that September is National Attendance Awareness Month because after all, if they don't show up, it's game over. So attendance is a very, very critical part of school. And obviously when there's remote learning, keeping track of attendance and making sure that kids are showing up and staying in school the entire time becomes even more challenging. So I had a chat with the founder and director of attendanceworks.org, Hetty Chang, and I actually had this conversation with her right before the COVID pandemic hit. And this episode was supposed to be dropped literally the first week that schools were closing. So it's a conversation about attendance and the importance of attendance and some of the data uh, that Hetty has seen, research that she's done with her organization and, and with partners and, and what it means and what to do about it. A very, very fascinating, fascinating conversation. This is actually the first of two. So this is the conversation that I had with her before the pandemic started. So it's just a general overview of how important attendance is and, and interesting ways to look at it and what, what we can do about it. And then next week, I'll share with you a second conversation that I had with her just recently, taking into account the COVID, you know, the new normal, like they call it, the current circumstances that we need to deal with and things that we need to make sure we are paying attention to so that kids are showing up. So enjoy uh, the first one. Again, keep in mind, this is a general overview. This is pre-COVID pandemic uh, conversation with Hetty Chang. And then next week we will have the more recent updated version, and that will kind of give you a more uh, balanced perspective on how to look at this. Hope you enjoy. The big question is, how do teachers like us, who are being pulled in so many directions, with so many demands and so much to do, how do we make sure that we not only get through our lesson as planned, but also make sure that every child is noticed every day, and that each one gets the attention they need to succeed? That is the question. And the Class Stars podcast is here to give you the answer. Here is your host, Moshe Freed. Hetty Chang is the founder and executive director of attendanceworks.org. And I'm really, really excited about this because Hetty has been on my radar for quite some time. I was very intrigued the first time I came across the attendanceworks.org website, uh, the way they use the data. Uh, to address chronic absence and the solutions that they have. Extremely, extremely intriguing. Attendance is something that is very dear to me because if you don't show up to class, it's game over. So, Hetty, let's talk a little bit, you know, I'm curious about two things, obviously about how you got into this in the the beginning, but one of the things from my own experience that I'm always curious about when I see someone who has been as successful as you've been in, in raising this awareness and discussing solutions is is the pushback that you must have gotten when you started this. So so tell us a little bit of how, how you got into this and a little bit about the, the pushback and the, the journey overall of how this has been for you. Um, so I have a, about a 30-year history of working 
on equity issues, education, early childhood, family support, community strategies for helping to improve outcomes for kids and families. Um, and in about 2006, I had was consulting. I had let, uh, so just a little bit of history. I used to co-direct a nonprofit called California Tomorrow. Our focus was on how do you draw strength from California's diversity and uh, counter institutional biases uh, and uh, in, uh, problematic uh, institutional practices that actually impede cr uh, the creation of an equal opportunity for people to succeed. So I did that for, I don't know, about a dozen years. Then I was working in a foundation doing two generation approaches to moving families out of poverty with a way of understanding how issues of race and equity and culture and language intersect with that um, goal. And then um, in about 2006, a guy named Ralph Smith. So Ralph Smith was a senior vice president for the Annie Casey Foundation at the time. And Ralph asked me to see whether or not I could examine if kids missing too much school in kindergarten and first was a reason they might not be reading at the end of third grade. Um, and so a lot of my work started by just trying to figure out, did we have any data? Um, and it turned out uh, much to my surprise, because I assumed we were tracking attendance. We were monitoring if kids missed too much school. And what I realized is by and large, um, people looked at unexcused absences and actually the definition or the trigger for noticing when kids had too many unexcused absences varied what was local um, uh, it actually there there was actually no standardization around that all, at all uh, people in some places like where i live in california were looking at an average daily attendance so how many kids show up to school every day um, and no one was looking at how many kids missed too much school for any reason. And at the time we were, this is 2006, largely collecting data by paper and pencil. Yeah. So if you wanted to look at how many kids were missing too much school, it was pretty difficult in most places because people didn't have electronic data systems at the time. Um, then what happened is, um, talking with Columbia University and the National Center on Children in Poverty, we realized we had one data set that was um, the early childhood uh, longitudinal study that actually had information taken um, about kids that gave a lot of information, but including how many days uh, teachers noticed that they missed school. Um, and we were able to use that data, which um, I think it's about 20,000 kids, it's a sample across the country, to um, do an estimate of how much was chronic absence a challenge. And we realized from that data that it was one out of 10 kids and that you could actually follow a cohort of kids. And from that data, we realized that chronic absence for, um, particularly for kids in poverty, affected long-term educational outcomes. Chronic absence in kindergarten affected fifth grade outcomes, even if their third grade attendance had improved. Um, and uh, chronic absence was associated 
with a mom or a parent having multiple risks. The more risks you have, three or four challenges, you're both a single parent, you have a health issue, you have multiple sibling uh, kids, you are just don't have a job. You know, the more risks you have, the more, you know, the more your kid is more likely to be chronically absent. Nothing surprising there. Right. You know, I think that it's just how much can you how much can you handle? You can handle as a human being, and when you have a lot going on and few supports, it means that something goes, and sometimes that something is school attendance. Um, so, can I just jump in on something that you said? Because you said like it's not surprising, you know. Like I, I always think about whenever I whenever I look at your every time I look at your research, I think that you know if the research was different, that would be a bigger problem. Meaning, if it didn't matter that kids were not going to school. Then, then we're doing something wrong in school. But what is surprising to me, you know, like it's not surprising that kids that are, you know, chronic absenteeism is a problem. But what is surprising is the extent of it. Like you said before, even if they're back at a good attendance rate in third grade, the fact that they were missing a lot in kindergarten is gonna, is gonna catch up with them. And that's, you know, I think the research uncovered that kind of stuff. And that's really what excites me because it's not about the things that are obvious. I mean, the obvious things are obvious too, but, but there's so much, when you look at the data, there's so much we can do if we just know. Absolutely. And I th so I think what we un un unpacked was a metric that no one knew they should be monitoring, which is how many kids are missing so much school. And we also unpacked that to the extent people looked at days of attendance, they often looked at cumulative days. I'm worried because the kids missed 18 days. Well, if you're gonna act on day 17, you're too late already. So we actually, um, Maria Jose Romero was actually the uh, PhD. I don't have a PhD. What I'm good at do is translating research into common sense language and policy. Um, and Maria was doing all the regression analysis. And she's the one who said, because at the time we were looking at, should we use a metric of 20 days or should we use a 10% metric? What she found from this data is if we use 10%, we found significant impacts. And we decided that 10% was a better metric because it meant you would look at just two days in the first month, four days in the next month, six days in the third month. Because if you try to wait with a day metric, people react too late. Right. Um, so, um, I think a couple of things about um, what happened is we were able to both um, do this analysis with national data, and we found a handful of districts. Uh, this is a publication called Present, Engage, and Accounted for the Critical Importance of Addressing uh, Chronic Early Absence. That um, report, which was published in 2008, this is before we created Attendance Works. Um, we were able to also find a partner with the Urban Institute, and they have um, something called the National Neighborhood Indicators Project. And we had about 10 different places where they, because this is in the beginnings of having longitudinal student data systems, there were actually a few districts and places we could find real data. And then I was starting to see, um, I remember seeing a district where it was 40% of their kindergartners who were chronically absent. Wow. Um, and I thought, oh my God, we've given up on a generation of kids. Um, if you have that high of levels, and this was a district that had something like, according to the state website, an 89, 90% average daily attendance. Wow. And I thought, no one even knows. 
You think that's okay, but it's not. And we've just masked this huge number. And I remember, and this was before I created Attendance Works, but my um, mentor, colleague, advisor who asked me to look at this, Ralph Smith, I remember texting Ralph saying, this issue you've asked me to look at isn't a little issue. It's a huge issue. And in some place, it's, you know, this is an enormous issue of significance. Um, and since, again, my background is on ed equity, I immediately thought, because uh, it certainly is much higher in high poverty areas, but the scope and scale of the challenge was so much bigger. So even if we knew it was one out of town nationally, that's not talking about the places where, like, if you go into Detroit, it was over half their kindergartners wow. who are chronically absent. There are high poverty communities where it is affecting enormous numbers of kids, high and um, really meaning that we aren't creating equal opportunity uh, for uh, children to learn and succeed. Um, and what I recognized in 2008, 2009, is no one had a clue how big their problem was because this was not a metric that they were calculating. And even places that had attendance data were not actually using it to calculate the chronic absence levels. So um, when we started this work, um, well, and, and I will say the other uh, early research that happened was not mine, but I was in conversation with a woman named Kim Nauer and Kim um, was doing research on New York City schools. And Kim and I, through email exchanges, I realized that Kim could request the data from the New York um, School De Department of Education, um, City Department of Education. She could calculate chronic absence. Before that, New York, she had been actually already started on a project where she was looking at these things called 407s. They were, when would you, um, notice a kid was missing so much school, so you would want to examine if there was a child welfare issue. Um, and it was something like you had to miss 20 out of 40 days. Wow. Uh, you had to have a certain number of consecutive absences. And I said, you know, I think that could mask chronic absence. And lo and behold, she found that out. And she discovered there was some 200,000 kids in New York City that were chronically absent. Wow. Um, and so we actually organized it so that I would work with Ed Week to get a article on the report that I had done and she would get uh, uh, an article in the New York Times and they go, both got published in October 2008. And that was the first time we were starting to say, okay, let's get out into mainstream media. Right. The reason that, that this is a big issue and a big challenge and we need to address it. And so, um, we did that, and then around um, 2010, um, uh, much credit to my colleague and mentor, Ralph, again, he is like, how are you going to take this more to scale? Let me uh, find you a communications firm, because he was pushing hard, and at the time, I was, you know, a consultant to the working out of my basement with not very many hours. And I said, I'd, I'd love to do more work on this, Ralph, but uh, I don't have any bandwidth. And then we um, I brought in a, a woman from named Phyllis Jordan, who at the time was with the Hatcher Group, 
who, um, and the Hatcher Group uh, really was my communications firm partner. They decided that we needed to create a name, we needed to create a website, we needed to start cultivating relationships with the media. Um, and so with Phyllis's help, um, we, we started to do that. Um, and at the same time, started to, um, I did a lot of work cultivating um, partnerships with local um, initiatives that would do the work. So in Baltimore, they um, were launching a Baltimore student initiative. In New York, which we already, the Children's Aid Society had actually been part of who had, uh, the group who had connected me to Kim Nauer, and they were then working, this was actually in the beginning of the Bloomberg administration in New York City, where they started to create an attendance initiative. We started, um, I had actually already by this time started to do work ourselves in California, uh, initially starting with Oakland uh, uh, Unified. So basically we started finding communities. Um, and, and I will also say at the same time, Ralph Smith, again, who's a player in this, was launching something called the Campaign for Grade Level Reading. And his approach was to get community coalitions to work together to help partner with school to make sure kids would re be reading at third grade by making sure that kids came, school came to school school ready, by making sure that kids didn't lose out because of chronic absence, by making sure kids didn't experience summer reading loss. And he, um, that campaign for grade level reading, which launched with a, a whole uh, competition to come up with plans for taking a comprehensive approach to third grade reading, and they partnered with All American Cities and the National Civic League to, um, really uh, create a buzz around how community coalitions could work with schools. Then also created a platform for us to start to encourage people and districts to crunch their chronic absence numbers, develop work on the ground. And our first, um, from 2010 to 2014, 15, was really about encouraging uh, local initiatives from across the country or school districts to crunch their numbers, to think about what their chronic absence challenges might be, and to start coming up with, so approach it, I think we've always taken it, don't approach it with blame, but take a problem-solving solution. We had already seen some good practice around attendance happening, but it hadn't been, um, uh, I think, combined with this new metric that allowed you to target more early because you weren't just looking at excuse unexcused absences, you looked at all absences. And so between 2000, 2015, we also had actually even created this Excel spreadsheet that districts could download and dump and could um, use to say, because everyone would say, I don't have a chronic absence problem. We'd say, well, I don't know if that's true or not. Here, use this um, very souped up Excel spreadsheet to analyze if you have a problem, and maybe it's not district-wide, maybe it's just for certain populations of kids or certain schools, but why don't you, before you assume you don't have a problem, uh, look at your data. Yes. Uh, and then once you look at your data, let's talk about taking action. And I think we were also able to really encourage a number of places to um, think about, uh, to be more creative with their solutions around that, uh, somewhere around 2014, we started partnering with another group called the National, um, sorry, the Healthy Schools Campaign, because they were interested in looking at the issue of 
how, uh, is there a metric that could strengthen collaboration between health providers and schools? Uh, and we went through this whole set of different kinds of metrics and the metric that held in the end was chronic absence. You know, families, if you ask them, why am I, is your kid missing school? They say, my kid is sick. Um, and, and, you know, stomach ache, lots of things can cause kids to be sick, but health is a huge, or perception of health, or mental health, if you into it, it, it include that, uh, are huge reasons why kids miss school. And through the Healthy Kids campaign, I think we started seeing and forging different partnership with other entities who thought, you know, this is a really useful metric. If we know what chronic absence levels are in schools, maybe that allows us to assess how we can partner with schools to address barriers and then even begin to measure what might um, the impacts be of our collaboration. In any case, by 2015, what really became the game changer was when, and we don't lobby, Attendance Works doesn't lobby, but we do have friends who do. So what happened is as uh, the Every Student Succeeds Act was moving through Congress um, and was in the final um, uh, throes of being revised in conference committee, uh, I think our friends at the Healthy Schools Campaign uh, talked, um, it might be, I think it actually was, was Amy, Amy Klobuchar's staff. Um, uh, and um, it's interesting how a variety of presidential nominees or <laughs> Democratic yes. candidates um, are actually connected to this, <laughs> this well, issue. It must make it very hard for you to choose when, when you're friends with all of them. I, I'm not choosing in any public kind of way. Um, <laughs> I, I will keep that to myself. Um, but um, because because in California, the other interesting thing was the person who really was a supporter on this was Kamala Harris. Um, as, um, so literally, um, have these uh, Bloomberg really helped to move the work in New, uh, in New York. His Success Mentors Initiative is one of the proven uh, strategies for addressing it. I do think Amy Klobuchar and her staff had um, an impact on uh, adding in attend. Uh, uh, what happened with ESSA, the, the important thing was that it added in having uh, chronic absence as a required reporting metric. And then because ESSA uh, created opportunities for schools to identify some additional measure for school success. Then when states started to think about what metric they could use, and we had already helped to, we don't do research, but we had been encouraging many, many researchers to produce good research on chronic absence. We had the data to suggest it was a metric that mattered for academic success. And at the same time, there could be some evidence-based solutions. Um, so ESSA, by making it required reporting and by also um, uh, creating a place for states to decide to have it as accountability metric, made a huge difference. Now, in the meantime, Attendance Works had created something that we call a network for advancing state attendance policy and practice. And it's an informal network where people who are interested in state policy, many, many people are from state departments of ed. Some of the are advocates, for example, kids count grantees, children's advocacy organizations, and some are national organizations like the data quality campaign or uh, uh, CCSSO. We created a, a pretty simple 
mechanism. We have phone calls four times a year. We usually have two phone calls in case people can't make one. And that network is a place for states to share promising ideas with each other, um, states to hear from researchers about the latest research, um, states uh, or people working on at the state level to also give us feedback on what kind of materials would be support to them or give us feedback on some kind of policy brief, for example, that might be in process. And just after ESSA had passed um, and before states had delivered their plans, I remember it was the May, I think, um, of 2006, so ESSA passed in 2015, May sort of of 2016, we said, should we be producing some guidance? Uh, we usually do this attendance awareness campaign um, effort. Why don't we get you guidance in October after we're sort of through the throes of that? And they said, oh no, that's way too late. You want to be helpful to us? You get guidance to us right away. So we sort of shifted gears because people gave feedback to us about when is the right time. We started to share with them guidance. Um, and then, um, and I, I might have my years off a little bit here. This is hard to remember all that. In any sense, we moved up our guidance. Um, this actually probably was more May of 2017. And by 2000, uh, July of 2017, we had the information out. By fall of 2017, the first round of um, ESSA state plans were in, and uh, you had at least 17 places, the vast majority who included chronic absence as a metric. By the time the ESSA state plans were due in the spring of 2018, 70% of state plans had chronic absence as an accountability metric. So you fast forwarded from a metric that um, almost no one knew about to one that is now an accountability metric. Um, and I should also mention in the meantime, the Office for Civil Rights had started to collect data on chronic absence. They actually calculate it slightly different, but it's close enough and started to produce that data. So we started to go from a metric that had almost no, no one even knew they should be collecting it to one where you had national estimates and then you have state plans that say to districts and schools, we're going to be looking at how well you address this. So there is much more knowledge of what this is. You asked me early, though, or you asked me, Moshe, about pushback. Yes. What I see is the pushback on this work is that people don't realize that chronic absence is something they can address. They're like, if kids don't come to school, there's nothing we can do about it when that is actually not the truth. Um, you know, if you um, think about our tiered support system, where we have a, uh, and on our website, you can look up three tiers of intervention and you can see this comprehensive tiered support system. That tiered support system shows that there's a lot that you can do on prevention that is related to creating an engaging, warm, welcoming school climate that is about building relationships, that's then about helping families know when you miss school for excused or unexcused reasons, you're missing out and therefore it matters. 
Um, that you can also find things like if you're in a high poverty community, there may be common barriers to getting to school. I mean, there's new research right now that goes out there that they were able to use some of this national data to show, which is, you know, if you do breakfast after the bell and make sure kids get fed, lo and behold, chronic absence reduces. So does learning improve because kids don't learn that well when they're hungry. You know, um, that's an example of, so if you make breakfast widely available so kids eat, you know, they'll be le less sick and they'll pay attention more. Some, um, those strat, but that is a strategy that you can affect as a school. There is funding for school breakfast. We have, you know, supports. Um, you can also, you know, use that data to, to, to examine if you have really problematic suspension rates and kids feel that school is a place that doesn't want them, whether it's a group of kids or a whole school, you will see levels of chronic absence because if kids think they're unfairly suspended, they will not only not show up the day they were suspended, but the day they were supposed to come back and they don't feel engaged in school. So, um, you know, another way of doing a cut on this, I had the privilege of working with David Osher at AIR and David and I, uh, this is really building off his, his work, came up um, with these, um, and I'm gonna, I, this is just helpful for me. Uh, I know that we're on a podcast, but um, hopefully this will, I, I wanna just show some slides and you can also think about if you can incorporate them in, but um, we've talked about that when you have high levels of chronic absence, it's actually a reflection that there might not be certain kinds of positive conditions for learning in place. You know, if kids, feel physically and emotionally healthy and safe, feel a sense of belonging, connection, and support, feel like they're actively challenged, engaged, and that the adults and the kids around them support them, they'll be in school. And it's important that it's not just kids, it's kids and their families. Families need to feel that their kids are physically, emotionally healthy and safe when they're at school. Families, Neil, parents need to feel connected to that school community and that their child, know that their child feels a sense of belonging. Families need to feel that what's being offered at the school is academically worthwhile. When you have those things in place, kids show up. When those things are not in place, then you start to have chronic absence. And our, our tiered support system is almost like an indication you can use attendance data to think about well how much do i need to invest to make sure that those things are in place kids who are basically coming most of the time 95 percent or more of the school year they're there i bet those conditions for, of learning are in place and school whatever the school's doing is, is sufficient for them to have those conditions in place by the time you're in tier two, where you're missing, or what we call moderately chronically absent, you're missing between 10 to 19% of the school year or 18 to 36 days, you know something's missing. And usually though, in order to figure out what's going on, you have to increase that sense of belonging, personal connection and support, right? That's why you need individualized outreach. And when that happens, you're more likely to get information because usually it's only a couple things, like maybe, uh, they don't have access to decent quality health care, and if you've got them access, they'll come to school. It's not a huge issue. It's a, it's a challenge, but it's not enormous. And, but they're not 
in order, unless you form a relationship, you might not know what that challenge or barrier might be. Then there are the kids, and, and that's why these caring mentors, the success mentors that had been um, used in New York City were so important. Now, if a kid, let's say, is homeless, they're what I would say probably in need of tier three supports because you got to coordinate between the homeless agency, between the school, um, between, you know, lots of things need to be organized. Now, they actually have kids, and again, New York City would be a good example where they did that. They also had worked on their tier one prevention in those schools and they had connected those kids in the homeless agencies to caring mentors and those kids weren't chronically absent. If you put all three things in place, you can make sure a kid who's in need of tier three supports actually isn't chronically absent. And it actually turned out that in New York City, when they've looked at their impact of their kind of community schools and chronic absence work, it's actually been the greatest for their homeless kids. And you would think about it because that's where you need interagency supports. That's also where you um, probably a kid is less likely to feel connection and support and I'm kind of embarrassed and about what's happening. But if you put that in place, kids can be there. And so, you know, what I think um, has happened over time, what we, what we now have as a challenge is, this is an accountability. We have to help people see it is in accountability and it is fair that is in accountability because you can make a difference. Whether schools look and monitor their, at their data and monitor it, whether schools forge relationships with other agencies and make sure kids get connected to them, what happens at the school site makes a huge difference around whether that happens. The people at a school site, every teacher, every staff member has to contribute to tier one. The staff at a school site, are the eyes and ears because they see kids every day and everyone else may not. They have to be the first line of prevention and early intervention. And when you have a lot of tier one and tier two in place, you actually see much less need for tier three and you see reductions in chronic absence. And so this, yes, you may need community partners to help you, absolutely. Uh, if we have health issues, you may want the community partners to do flu immunizations on the school site itself. But in order for all of that to happen, the school has to be, and the district have to be looking at their data, using their data to figure out what they need to have in place. And they have to be really thoughtfully developing strategic partnerships. We talk about this uh, need to take a data-driven systemic approach. It's again on our website. We have shared accountability. That's what we, which is one of those five ingredients. The issue is that we still don't quite yet have actionable data. Some places do. If you look again, there's a new research from New York City on its community schools, which had an impact on chronic absence graduation rates, reading and math. That is also because they have an incredibly great actionable data system that was able to be used by the school site to identify which kids need support, and they could give permission to community partners to get access to that data so that they could uh, work together with them to support. So you, and we need to have actionable data that um, gets sent every week or every two weeks, and we have to build capacity so people understand it. Sometimes people get too much data, 
or the data is in a format that they have no idea how to interpret it. So you have to build capacity so people can use that actual data to take action and engage in positive caring relationships that help motivate kids to show up and also create the conditions under which kids and families will say to a school, this is what the challenges are that we face. And then you can use that information plus your data to engage in strategic partnerships so you can turn chronic absence around. But that system is not yet in place. And in the meantime, people are like, ha, huh, you're gonna hold me accountable for this. And I get it, you know, in California, it's been challenging. Our chronic absence rates have increased. Wow. Some of that is from teacher strikes, which do have a profound effect, you know, I, I, I believe teachers should be paid well. I, I'm supportive of that kind of thing. But the, the, there are, are a consequence of when you, that amount of school doesn't happen, right? And we'll have to figure out how to address it. That doesn't mean that, um, so, so that means that you even more want to look at chronic absence data to make sure that you notice the kids who might have fallen even farther behind and need more supports or, you know, we do have, uh, in many places, an increasing homeless issue. And we know we're under-identifying the kids who are facing housing insecurity issues. But I bet if we monitored chronic absence, we would be able to identify earlier kids who are at risk. Because if things are tough at home, if they're having a hard time finding a place, safe place to sleep, you're going to see it in their, in their attendance. And you'll probably see it in attendance before a kid or family feels comfortable or even if they ever do, letting school staff know what's actually happening. So when we use data and use that to target where we want that really um, positive relationship building to happen, so families trust us, can tell us what's going on, then we can mobilize the resources to make sure kids really have a chance to thrive and succeed. Wow. Wow. <laughs> This is so absolutely amazing. It's so absolutely amazing. Wow. You blew me away. And I, you were <laughs> second time, second time that you blew me away. The first time that I saw your website, you did. And now again, this is so absolutely amazing because it's so, it's so clear. It's so black and white. And, you know, you know, like you said, that the pushback is that people don't see it. People don't recognize it it does take out of the box thinking, you know, to put all of this together. This is very sophisticated and, and clearly, you know, your years of experience of, of working on these kinds of issues clearly, clearly shows. I mean, it's really, really remarkable. Um, so what was, what was the biggest, you know, it doesn't even seem like there were any challenges. It sounded like, you know, you're, you, obviously you're very articulate and you know how to, like you said beforehand, you know how to take the data and make it sound very simple that anybody can understand it. And clearly you've demonstrated that here, but you know, what, where was it that you went from, you know, again, you're taking the concept that was completely unknown. I mean, this is, this, this could be like one of the greatest revolutions in education, you know, in the last 25 years. I mean, I don't know anything I'm speechless. What can I say? <laughs> which is which is quite a feat. I'm I'm very rarely speechless, but I don't know of any one particular you know system that has been as comprehensive and fundamental 
to improve things as, as what, as what I'm hearing from you right now. So, you know, it certainly has been crazy trying to do this, you know, trying to figure out the resources, trying to be resourceful. Um, you know, uh, one, on just an organizational level, uh, to be honest, Marcia, we, we like all our foundation resources, we, we, we are very project driven. Foundations only fund certain things. We constantly see the need for new materials and resources, and uh, we don't always have the support to do that. Um, so it is a constant fight to figure out how we can stay alive. We only have two of us that are full-time, Moshe. The wow. rest of us are not full-time. If you added us all together, we're maybe eight, six to eight full-time people, depending on the day that you're talking to us. Wow. And we have over half a million people on our website now. Wow. That's what we hit. So wow. what, how we, we have learned to be as creative as possible about when can we create a new tool? When can we create a resource? Because we, you know, I, I mean, I, we have, still haven't figured out, this is going to be really honest, like if everyone who uses our website would even give us $50, we could do this, but we haven't figured out how to get, convert to unrestricted resources that allows us to be responsive to changes in the environment. We'd love to redo our district attendance tracking tool that we created 10 years ago, but we haven't quite figured out how to create the resources. We, every year we create this attendance awareness campaign and we are just um, constantly bootstrapping it about how we create new resources. What I think that has allowed us to succeed is one, if we think someone can use a resource pretty easily and don't need a lot of hand-holding to do it, we stick it on our website. Because my view is this is not about, I want everyone to own this, I want everyone to take champion this, and I want to give them the tools so they don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right. So I'm a nonprofit initiative. I'm not trying to make money off this. But because we do that, I think we've been successful because people can, like yourself, see themselves in it and figure out how to take this and move this out. And to be frank, to really do this well, you don't just take our work off the shelf. You take it, you think about how it applies, and you might have to tweak it a little because right. things work differently in different settings. And, right. and I think what has been part of our success is we've really tried not to be overly protective um, although we try to retain certain quality. So for example, because our data tools, you actually have to come and sign up for us. And we ask you a bunch of questions like, do you understand your district data system? Because in the beginning, we had people who took and then wiped out all the formulas and they're like, it doesn't work. And we're like, yeah, you just wiped out all the formulas. No, you need a data, a person who understands data to, to, to do this, you know, this has a little more skill level than you know your clerk at your school. So let let let's get the right data person to to right. use the tool. Otherwise, I can't help you that much. I, I don't have that much you know. So um, so I guess I the other thing I would just say is I, I we've been um, I'm just gonna show this one other slide, which is the hardest thing. So aside from the all the institutional issues of how do you go to scale, mm -hmm. is that it is not 
the, the old mindset of, of, if you will, truancy, of legal and blaming, oh, the kid didn't come here, it's the parents or the kid's fault. Right. It's pretty deeply ingrained. Yes. Um, and it's much deeper than I realized. Yeah. We didn't come into a blank slate. We came into pre-existing mindsets that right. say the yes. way you address attendance, when attendant, when kids don't show up, it's because their kids and their families don't care. And the right. way you address is through the courts um, or just a social worker. And so people think when they see poor attendance that it's not their responsibility and that the best sometimes solution is a hammer or it's a social worker. Sometimes a social worker can help, but you can't do that prevention-oriented tiered support system if right, you think right. this is just up to the social workers to do. You only can do a prevention and early intervention approach when your whole school and community are, is on board with you. So shifting from this legal, more punitive to counting all absences, thinking about the impact on academics, taking prevention, problem solving, um, trauma sensitive strategies, making sure this is about kids and families having a say in this. They have to feel connected to, they have to be part of telling you what the challenges are and what's workable solutions. That's not an easy mind shift. Not at all. And I, 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 I think we still, I, I still worry that the data is gonna go out there. They're gonna see from now this newly available data that they have challenges with chronic absence and they'll go into the old mindset, not the new one. But what I have to believe is if we can get the word out there, over time, more and more people will be using the new paradigm. The new paradigm will prove itself because it results in better, it, it creates better results. You know, we, we partnered with um, Harvard to test out in California new truancy notifications. The original version developed, I don't know, 20 something years ago, basically said your kid missed these three days or was late to class these three times. And if you don't get better, we're gonna take you to court. Wow. And that was the man, that's the mandated language. Right. Wow. Um, so we tried another version where we took all the nasty mandated language with the permission of um, the uh, attorney general who was at the time Kamala Harris, moved it to the bottom and at the front, we just said in very simple, and Todd Rogers really was amazing about helping to make sure this was succinct. You know, your kid missed these days. Do you know this could have an impact on um, their academic achievement? It could have these kinds of impacts. Um, is this data right? Um, and if it is, how can we help you? And you know, you as a parent can make a difference. And it was it's a very short letter. Wow. That letter gets better attendance than the negative let me just threaten you with court letter. Wow. So, you know, if we start taking, using data to assess which strategies work, I am sure that positive problem solving strategies will come out on top, but we need to use data if, if, if we have to, to prove which ones work. Well, I would add something to that because I hear two things from you or maybe three things and tell me, you know, tell me what you think. It's the data, of course, because the data is what tells you what you're doing is right or wrong. But it's also an extremely non-judgmental uh, approach, extremely non-judgmental, because how judgmental is the old, is the old note? 
Absolutely. right? And, and, and the minute you see that, you just recoil and it goes back to, you know, what I had mentioned to you before we started the podcast interview, John Gottman's research of the negative to positive ratio, mm-hmm. right? And, and when you're a, as a parent, and then you throw in on top of that, all of the things like you had mentioned, all of the different risk factors that are involved. If I'm at risk of a hundred different things, a hundred is a big number. If I'm at risk of three different things, and now suddenly I'm getting this threatening note that now I have another thing that I need to deal with, that could, that could break me. You know, that could be the difference. Well, so, so the, water. Yeah, th- there's research that shows chronic absence is connected with ACEs, okay? Trauma and the adverse childhood experiences. So if you think about it, what we know when you experience trauma, the worst thing you can do is to say what's wrong with you, right? What you need to do is say what happened and how can I help? That's a standard response to anyone who's faced trauma. And frankly, even if you haven't faced trauma, it's probably a better response and more likely to solicit collaboration. And our approaches to attendance have not been trauma-informed approaches. When we know poor attendance is actually connected to the experience of trauma. And so I think that's why, um, you know, this, this just really, what what we found works best is, because the other thing I think that's interesting is you can know this stuff in your head and still not apply it in practice. I know I should build relationships. I know I should take time to say hello to everyone. I know I should not, uh, you know, approach parents with judgment, but when I'm rushed, we go to these behaviors that aren't ways. Yep. Even if we know in our minds that that's not the way to do it. So what we found is when we can create communities of practice that learn these concepts over time, they take it, they try it, they then share what they learn from it, they reflect on it, uh, they talk about how they move forward, and they provide emotional and conceptual uh, support to each other about how to implement, we've seen changes happen. When you create teams of schools and make sure that they can meet together and look at their data, talk about tier one, talk about tier two, I mean, not all at once, because you can only take on so much change at each time. You, 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 you do, you get biteable, bite-sized change, apply that bite-sized change, and then over time you, you, you take action. That's when you get reductions. And so I think the other thing we have to get people to do is be a little more patient with what does it mean to create sustainable change? And some of this is also about not making sure that the, making sure this is not just about something new, but actually modifying how we do what we do now. Uh, if it's, let's do a different kind of truancy notification. We're sending one out anyway. Let's, why don't we do one that's helpful? Um, if we're having parent-teacher conferences, do we talk about attendance? Do we carry out parent-teacher conferences in a way that's positive and engaging and supportive of, and trauma-informed of families? You know, do we, when we send out an, a report card, do we help parents understand the attendance data on it? Or is it just a few days that no one knows what to make of whether it's four days in October, good or bad? Is that a problem? I don't know. You know, we could take things that we do now. I don't even know that you always need a separate attendance team meeting. Maybe it is your school leadership team that's also looking at its 
chronic absence and climate data together and thinking about the strategy. I, what I do think is we have to figure out how to better integrate attention to this into the fabric of how schools operate on a daily basis. And if we do that, we can improve our outcomes. If we don't, it's gonna feel like it's too much for educators who already have so much on their plates. Yes, yes. Well said, well said. So, so, I, so I'm hearing things like, you know, obviously the data is the foundation of everything because that's informing everything. Using the trauma-related responses is obviously very, very important. But like you also said beforehand, you need that out-of-the-box thinking. It's so easy. And like you had mentioned also, you know, I, I feel like we've been talking for like for the last 10 years because these are all, the, you know, these are all the walls that I've been running into and the same kind of responses because teachers are just so overburdened. They're just demanded, you know, there's so much demand on them. And then you tell them like, okay, I need you to do this. I remember I had a teacher, I had a teacher actually coming to my office. His student was a client of mine, not even in the school. And he would come to me at 10 o'clock at night because he would leave the house like at 5.30 in the morning and he wouldn't get home. until like he was really working long, long hours. And after all that, he would still just come to my office. He wasn't getting paid for any of this just to come to discuss with me the difficulties that he was having with his kids. And I, and I told him, you know, I was talking to him about a behavior chart and, and how to break it down into small time periods and, and, and rate each one and, you know, acknowledge when the child is doing better and, you know, build off of that. And he said, you know, this is great if I had one or two kids in my class that needed this kind of a chart, but I have 11 kids in my class of 17 that need this kind of attention. How in the world am I supposed to do this? And this is just one teacher speaking for one classroom. You know, this is the story of so many teachers and so many schools that are just so overwhelmed. And then you tell them, you know, the solution is to serve breakfast. It's, it's so not, it's, it's out of the box. You need people that can really see things out of the box. And clearly you have, and clearly, you know, the years of experience helps for that as well, but it's not enough. You have people that are, that are career educators that will never think of serving breakfast in school as a solution. You need everything together. You need, you need to bring everything together somehow. Well, so, and, so what I think though, Moshe, is that it's the part where it gives me hope and helps to inspire, for me to feel inspired is I think there are a lot of out of the box thinkers and people who've made a difference. And what we need to do, and you can also do this with your podcast, other people can do, we need to find those people and highlight them. Because when they do, when we highlight what they do, because this stuff is not rocket science. Um, you know, that's what uh, informs folks. Like I just think about, I don't even remember, I was in some place I now can't even remember. It might have been in Rhode Island. I'm not sure, but I remember someone talking about in middle school, in middle school, and they actually had a chronic lateness issue. The kids weren't showing up. So they stopped and they asked the kids, they said, you guys are always late. What is the problem? And they said, you took down all the clocks in the building. We have no idea what time it is when you let us out of class. Maybe if you, and these are middle school kids, if you put clocks back up throughout the building, we might be able to show up to class on time. You know, it's like, talk to people, ask people. And then when people come up with common sense solutions, because breakfast in the back classroom, by the way, is, as you know, if 
you can actually save time if you've built a positive relationship with all your kids. They're not acting out because they're not they're fed and not hungry. And you actually save time in the long run because you then have a well-run, well-orderly classroom. It's when you have three or four kids acting off the wall, then you can't get even through your lesson plan. Of course. You need the teachers who said, you know what? I did breakfast in the classroom and this is how it helped. And then they inspire the others. And all of this we will go with is we talk about, we start with the coalition of the willing. You take the willing who are willing to do this, willing to show what this looks like, and then you showcase as much as you can of that coalition of the willing and their common sense solutions, which result in different outcomes. And I think that's what helps to inspire people um, and helps people know you really can make a difference because that common sense solution, that is within my reach. That's great. And, and, and I agree with you 100%. I would add to it that, you know, there, there are a lot of people that think out of the box. And I think that what's discouraging to people, I think that what's discouraging to people is that you know, there, there is the, there are the gatekeepers, you know, the, the so-called gatekeepers, the people who, you know, when you come to a principal and you have an idea and then a lot of principals are great. You know, I, I've worked with so many principals that are so open and so great, but then I work, I talk to a lot of teachers and they complain about their administration, how there's a disconnect because their administration is being pressured by, you know, whoever's overseeing them, whether it's the state or, you know, the board of directors or whoever it might be. And, and it becomes this whole complicated mess. So people feel that, you know, I don't have a voice. I can't speak up. I have to just do my job as best as I can. But like you said, when you, when you showcase and you highlight those people that, that are inspired, that are thinking out of the box, it empowers everybody around them. And there is this podcast that I like to listen to, Gary Vaynerchuk, totally not related to education. It's, he's an entrepreneur. And, and he's such a positive person. And I, and I love listening to him because I think that He's just, he's just so full of energy. He says, if you don't like, he talks about internet marketing and he says, if you don't like the negativity on the internet, be louder, we're positive. And if we're loud enough, we'll drown out that negativity. So it's the same idea that what you're saying is that you know, there are so many positive educators. There are so many people that are making such differences in the lives of children. And the truth of the matter is, you know, who doesn't have a teacher that they remember? that really made a difference in their life. Everybody that goes through the school system, you know, sometimes it's just one. If you're lucky, you have more than one. But, but there, are, there is, you know, the school system should and is, in many, many cases, such a force for good, such a force for positivity. But we get stuck in the bureaucracy. We get stuck in all the things that get us stuck. But then, like you said, when you find someone that, that is able to do something and takes a common sense approach and runs with it and, and does something, and builds an organization that has a half a million people on their website that's just addressing something that's so obvious and so simple, but that no one was looking at not that long ago. You're right, it's incredibly inspiring and it is great. And you know, this I can sit and talk with you about this all week. I, I'm, I'm, this, I love this stuff, but you know, obviously we're short on time. And um, you know, if there's anything else that you want to add before we close up, no. we have a few minutes. The one thing I would like to encourage you and others to do, um, if you have a chance, um, on our website, we have, it's called a teaching attendance curriculum. 
if you look under resources mm -hmm. and then you uh, click down and you can see capacity building and then you see teaching attendance curriculum. They're actually really three modules. They're online modules. This is part of our giveaway strategy. You, it takes 30 to 40 minutes to take, go through them. And they are our 101 on how do you think about chronic absence. And it's really aimed at teachers and principals to allow them to take and understand our concepts. The first module is uh, why, uh, why does this matter? It talks about the research, showing the impact, talks about who can make a difference. The second one is really focused on tier one ways to engage kids and families, to message to kids and families. It talks about, for example, how do you really do attendance incentives appropriately because too often we focus on perfect attendance which only help the kids who are already doing okay. Uh, it talks about how do you reach across um, uh, cultural and class goals to build relationships with families. It talks about how do you do effective messaging with families when uh, and what are the kind of myths that prevent families from really understanding uh, how uh, attendance could impact uh, their kids' behavior. Uh, it also talks about looking at attendance dips. So what are the periods of the year when there are likely uh, challenges and how might you anticipate that and then put in place supports? So for example, maybe kids don't show up to school because of uh, bad weather, then are you making sure that kids have appropriate clothing for when the bad weather comes up? You know, that if you think that kids are not coming on because they um, half-day parent-teacher conferences make it hard, and then you see low attendance, maybe you need to think about what the childcare issues are for that day of school and how to use the other half day for something engaging. Or we know a place that they used half the day to provide healthcare supports because then the parents would be there and then you could get them access to health. You know, you, you can look at attendance gifts and come up with solutions. Anyway, that and then the third one kind of helps you think about integrating this into parent-teacher conferences and using data for interventions. That teaching attendance set of modules, you have to register. They're on an online system, but they are free once you register. It is our solution because we realized that we didn't, since we had not mastered cloning, um, and we could not be presenting everywhere, we felt that this was our next best solution. Um, and um, so, you know, folks can go there. We have our voices in this. We have voices of practitioners who've really made a difference. I really encourage you and other folks on the podcast, you want to know more, look at our teaching attendance modules. They're made for you so you can learn more. I'm going to even put a link to this in the description of the podcast that people can access it easily. I'm looking at it right now as we speak. I have my other, on my other screen, I have it open. And great. yes, it does look great. And I did look at a lot of the other stuff that you've you know, everything, you know, it's, it's so robust. I mean, I could spend a lot of time just reading the research and watching the videos and doing everything that you've done. It's really been remarkable. And I so much appreciate that you're taking out of your time to sit here and talk with me about this. And obviously, you know, we think a lot alike about a lot of subjects in education and that's always great. You know, it's always good to see someone you're doing this a little bit longer than I am, but I'm not that far behind. And, uh, you know, I hope one day I'll be able to uh, accomplish what you've accomplished here in, in these last dozen or so years just with attendance works. And forget, you know, we didn't even talk about what your career before that. I'm sure you've done a lot there, too. So, Hetty, yeah. thank you so much for coming. And let's, let's be in touch. And good luck with everything. And, um, and, and we should be in touch and continue to work together and, and try to get this message out there. 
Thank you so much, Moshe. Look forward to uh, staying in touch. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It's always great to talk with people who are passionate about their craft. Please, please subscribe and tell all your friends about this great podcast and look out for the Class Stars app that will be coming out really, really soon. Very excited, revolutionary tool that will help teachers keep track of which students need their attention the most. See you later. Thank you so much for tuning into the Class Stars podcast. To learn more about our vision for education, subscribe to us, visit our website, take our free training, sign up for the newsletter, and follow us on social media. Join the revolution in education and become a Class Stars today, empowering educators one episode at a time.